If you will, please stand with me. If you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand with me because we're reading um, this portion of God's word, the, the, the part of his word that he has chosen for us today. Revelation chapter six or 14, excuse me, verses six through 13. And as I read, I want you to pay attention, particularly to how you feel, to how you feel about what you hear. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because... The hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third. Followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Notice verse 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds. Follow them. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Are you familiar with the idea of cognitive Dissonance. I don't know if y'all use a spring break after all. I don't you kids taking a break. Let me let me give you the definition of cognitive dissonance. It's it's when you think something is important. But you don't live like it. Or. Another way to think about it is you, you believe something is true, but you really don't like it. 
So an example, ice cream. It's no good. No good for Ryan, especially. Uh, and I, I don't like you talking to me about it. You know, I know it's true, but I don't like hearing it. I don't like thinking about it. I don't like when dinner ends and my entire family is eating it right in front of my face. Cognitive dissonance. That is about as funny as this sermon is going to get, guys. So if <laughs> I mean, it's, it's gone now. Cognitive dissonance is a real bummer for me. When it comes to sweet treats. But you can have cognitive dissonance about things that are a lot more costly. Like you may be someone who understands in theory that a person who doesn't work is not going to eat. And if you are the kind of person who refuses to work, you're, you're going to be in trouble. There is a topic that even Bible-believing Christians have cognitive dissonance about. And that topic is hell. Many, maybe, maybe many of you, don't like this. You don't want to hear about hell. You understand God and Jesus say a lot about it, but you don't want, you're embarrassed to say anything about it. wonder, how do you feel about hell? Revelation 14, verses 6 through 13. Is, is like we've showed up to a, a conference that God's putting on. And God's sent these three preachers from heaven, these three angels. But they're all coming in this conference to speak on one topic. And that topic is the good news about the worst place. The good news about the worst place. Uh, it's, it's right there in our passage in verse 6 when the first angel starts to preach. He preaches an eternal gospel. Good news about judgment. So. Hell, which is explicitly described in our passage, is where no one wants to go. But I want you to understand that hell is a place that even those who will never go there, we need to hear about it. That's why I emphasized in verse 12 when it said in the second half of the passage, this that we've just heard at that angelic preachers conference, this is a call to the saints. 
So let me put it to you in a sentence. It's good to hear about God's hell. It's good to hear. According to God, it is good to hear about God's hell. And there are two primary things that we hear about hell. And I want you to listen up, all of you, but especially those who will never go there. Two primary things to hear about hell. Number one, it's good to know hell is awful. Number one, hell is awful. Verses 6 through 11. If you look, uh, first of all, in verses 6 and 7, uh, we're told that hell is awful for everyone. For everyone. Where, where our eyes are directed to people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue. The first angel is preaching his message. It says to those who dwell on the earth. And I've already told you this is like an extraterrestrial kind of Christian conference where the preachers come out of heaven. And this is when he says that I'm preaching to those who dwell on the earth. It's not like those aliens who speak to earthlings. You know, he's not doing this kind of thing when he says those who dwell on the earth. Those who dwell on the earth is code. In the book of Revelation, if you're paying attention, it's code for a particular kind of people. It's the people who get their kicks from watching Christians cry and from watching Christians die. That's who the first angel is preaching to. Those who dwell on the earth. Those who live like earth. Is all there is. That this life. Is all there is. He's preaching a sermon that we get to hear. As he speaks to unbelievers. And it's good to hear. How this angel who was sent from God shares the gospel. He's laying out a model for how it would be good for us to say these things. And and the first thing he says when he starts preaching in verse 7 is, look there. He says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. Not not this, not this preacher. No, verse 7, his sermon says, God's judgment is coming. And that is good for each one of us to hear. Because otherwise, we might live like, you know, so long as I'm innocent of the crimes that this world judges, then 
I'm okay. Or, 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 or if we don't hear this angel's sermon, we might think that so long as the cops never see me, then I'll be okay. The angel says, God has seen you. And God is coming to judge. So, beloved, you know, Jesus said, God is going to judge murderers, but not just murderers. He's going to judge those who have the seed of murder in their hearts, even anger. Toward others. Not just lawbreakers. But God will judge law keepers. Who keep even his commands. Without him in mind. I wonder when you share the good news. Do you talk about judgment? Do, do you talk about the second part of the first angel's gospel here? Do you, do you believe that it's good to hear what he then says next in verse 7, which is that the gospel makes God the focus of our lives? Y'all need to hear this. It's good to hear this because this is not the message we often hear. This angel sent from God does not let the church that day off the hook because they pray a prayer. You see that in verse 7? He, he's, he's not saying you're good. Judgment is coming. But if you just raise your hand. No, it's good to hear the angel command everyone to stop treating God as if he is unimportant. His judgment is coming, so fear God. That is, make it the aim of your life to never offend him. Judgment is coming and therefore fear God and give him glory and worship him because he is your creator, he says. And that means that if you understand the good news about the worst place, then you will live a certain way. You will make his we will make his beauty, his glory, his his character, the reason for even the smallest decisions we make. In our lives. That's what the angel calls the whole world to do to avoid that judgment that's coming. And so I, I hear this and I, I wonder, do the people around me know? I think you should think with me. Do the people around you know that the good news of Jesus Christ 
doesn't just comfort us about the afterlife. But it it changes us right now. Heaven will not let anyone leave that sermon thinking that the good news is only about avoiding hell. Listen. The gospel that was preached that day actually fixes our problem with God. It makes us live to fear him and to glorify him. So hell is awful, we're told, for everyone, every every kind of person who will not live for God. They will be judged by God. But then in verse eight, we're told that hell is awful for not just everyone, but for the evil city. The evil city. The second angel then comes up in the conference, takes the pulpit, and he, this is what he's saying in verse 8, y'all did not listen to that first guy. When the second angel shows up with his sermon, he says, "The now that you didn't listen, the whole system of this world that seduces you away from God, it is gone. Revelation is borrowing that Old Testament city of Babylon and is is expanding it to now Babylon the Great, and it is representing the world. The world that unbelievers love as this great cosmopolitan, you can do anything you want, you can find anywhere, you know, all the comforts of this world that the unbelievers love instead of loving God. He said it's fallen. It's going to be gone. Now, the Babylon in John's day was Rome. Today, we might think of Las Vegas or Paris or Breckenridge, Texas. You know. But it's not any one, it's not any one place. Babylon is Babylon the Great, just like Alexander was Alexander the Great. And in the same way, Babylon, like Alexander, has conquered more worlds. And so that's why it says this Babylon that's going to fall has made the nations drink her wine of sexual immorality. That world is coming to an end. Now, I, I, I'm not going to spend much time on this because in explaining the wine and the, the sexual immorality. I've, I said last week that sexual morality in Revelation is a reference to idolatry. It's to worshiping false gods. And in chapter 18, we're going to see this kind of explained more so. So I'm not going to spend much time now. But you do need to understand that there is Babylonian wine that is being offered to you all the time. 
And it is intoxicating. It's everything in this world that calls your attention. It's the best in this world that is attractive to us to call ourselves away from trusting in God or putting God first. It is Babylonian wine of of the money of this world that we, that so many people, and can't we be tempted in this place to put money in place of God? Babylonian wine, your brand could be the temptation here to care about people more than God. So seductive, so attractive. It's the temptation to pursue pleasures in this world that God has clearly said, don't do it. And Babylon's promises are like too much wine. It only leads to regret. And it's good for us to hear it now. So that we would push ourselves away from the world's table. And know that this system of seduction that we're tempted to take part in, it's going down. But hell is not just for systems of seduction. It is for all those who are seduced. So hell is awful. Verses 9 through 11. Not just for everyone, not just for the evil city, but for ever and ever. It will be awful forever and ever. Verse 9. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he, God, or excuse me, the, the, the unbeliever will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, that is Jesus Christ, and the smoke of their torment goes up and keeps going up and keeps going up forever and ever and they who are there have no rest ever, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. I'm wrestling with whether to say what I'm about to say because it just it just lightens things. I want to tell you the third angel's got those Michael Durham vibes. You know, I mean, he's got the fire and brimstone. It's I imagine a three piece suit on that angel. He's got the these, the thous. He's breaking out that King James. You know, 
Amen. I don't know if that's even appropriate to have any kind of lightness here because hell is awful. We're all tempted to do something with it, to say it maybe it's not as bad or to take the pressure out of the room or whatever. But hell is awful. And that's good to hear. Because it is awful for everyone who worships the beast and receives his mark. As I've said before, you can go back to Revelation 13 where we talk about the beast and its marks a little bit more. We've said this before. You do not have to know that you're worshiping the beast for this to be you. You just have to receive his mark. And what this is saying is religion is not just in what you say about you. It's so important for us to hear. Religion is more so in how you think. That's how the mark is on the head. It's how you think. Or not just how you think, but how you live. That's why the mark is on the hand. It's what you choose to do when you choose your choices in life. Let me break it down for you more. What this is saying is people who think little thoughts of God. And people who live with little regard for God. Will go to the worst place. The place where God's personal anger. Is poured out like wine. So you need to follow the perfect symmetry of hell. Listen. He's saying if you drink the world's wine. You'll get exactly what you deserve. If you drink the world's wine, then you will drink the Lord's wrath. And this is good to hear now. Before he pours it out. When he pours it out. In full strength. That's a comparison to Babylon's wine. It's saying that God's anger is more potent than the world's pleasures. He's telling us now, God's pain will last longer than the world's pleasure. So, I get this idea of annihilationism. When some people have this cognitive dissonance of passages like this where God very clearly speaks about hell lasting forever and ever. And there being no rest day and night of of God actually giving 
Not just his people new bodies that can enjoy heaven forever, but gives everyone new bodies that it can endure even in hell forever and ever and have no rest at night and no rest during the day and torment forever and ever. I understand the temptation to say, well, I like the idea of annihilationism. I like the idea that after death, there's nothing or or that those who have been disloyal to the Lord will briefly meet up with God and then his punishment will, will be such that he makes them to no longer exist. It'll be quick and it will be done and it'll be done for good. That, that may be the, the kind of final judgment you hear about. It may be the kind of final judgment you approve, but it is not God's hell. It's very clear here. And that is good for you now to hear it. Because this cup of God's anger torments forever and ever. There is no rest in hell. Which is why Dante said, abandon hope all who enter hell. Can there be good news about the worst place? I mean, some are so embarrassed by this. They they think of it as being no better than the Nazis exterminating Jews. What's the difference? I understand that thought. But that thought comes from a mind that is thinking very little thoughts of God and God's goodness. One day, Sir Isaac Newton, he, he left on this table his notes for Lots of his inventions that he had been taking notes about for, for years and years. And his best dog comes by that table and bumps into it and makes the candle fall over and consume all of his notes for all of his designs. And uh, this is before Google, you know. Um, I'm not talking about the guy who made the, the fruit Newton or whatever. This is not the cookie guy who maybe saved stuff on a hard drive. Or whatever. This is Sir Isaac Newton, lived hundreds of years ago. He's got no backups. And so he's absolutely devastated when this happens. And his dog has the sense to know when his master is sad. And so he you know, walks up to his human and uh, he tries to comfort him. And Newton just turned to him and said, you will never know what you've done. He's a dog. Is it possible that whenever we are ashamed of hell, whenever we're hesitant to mention hell, that we're just like that dog? 
And we, in reality, just have no clue how we have ruined who God made us to be. Is it possible whenever we're embarrassed by torment forever and ever that really what we're showing is we have no clue just how good God really is or how guilty we really are. If you're here and I've been describing you as someone, no matter what you say, but the, the thoughts that you think and the things you do with your hands, the, the way that you live, as you can recognize, I give very little thought to God. He does not determine how I live. I don't live for his glory. I'm not really afraid of him until this moment. I want you to know I'm glad you're here. I want you to be here and I want you to listen If you will not learn from hell, then you will live there forever. I don't know what you've thought or what you've been told, but hell is not the absence of God. Do you see this right there at the end of verse 10? When hell is being described and those who are there are being described as those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus, those who don't live for God, and who else is there? The Lamb. Jesus Christ is there. But he's not there with any mercy. He is there with only his anger. So, what good news is there about this worst place? Why is it that we stand and sing about Jesus Christ? Let me try to illustrate that for you. John Richards was walking in a prairie toward his property in California many decades ago. He was there with his daughter when a wildfire was rapidly spreading and it was heading their way. And John knew and his daughter knew that that it was coming right in their path. But John thought quickly and he acted fast. He did what Truthfully, I I would never have thought to to do. He started a fire right where they were standing. And he scorched a patch of grass that they could stand on. So the fires are raging and approaching. And his daughter is crying out, Daddy, we've got to go. It's getting hot. We've got to go. We're not going to, we're going to die here. And, this da- and, and her daddy just said, no, sweetheart, we're totally safe. And she said, we're going to die. We've got to leave, sweetheart. No, we are perfectly safe. The fire 
will never get us because we're standing where the fire has already been. Friends, I've been telling you the good news about the worst place. Let me tell you the best news about the worst place. The fires of God's hell have already fallen on God's son. You know what Jesus called the cross? He called it the cup. Can this cup, this cup, this cup of God's full strength, anger, pass from me? And God said no, and Jesus went to the cross. So believer, listen to me. Everyone listen to me. Jesus drank all of God's wrath for everyone who trusts in him. Listen, hell is completely right. It is completely just for those who have drunk of the world's wine. They will drink of God's anger. Hell is just and beloved. The good news about the worst place is heaven is just. It is right for God to give heaven to people who trust in his son because what of, of what his son did. His son drained all of God's judgment and anger for all of our sins. Now, it is possible that Revelation 14 is saying that toward the end of time, right before Jesus comes back, that heaven is going to start sending out more and more messengers to preach the, the, the good news about the worst place to everyone who is going to go there if they don't start fearing God and glorifying him. But you are hearing this right now. And you need to hear the only safe place to go is where God's wrath has already been. If you stand with the Lord Jesus, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, then all the anger of God for every sin you have committed has been satisfied. And he will forgive you and you will be safe. It is good to hear about God's Hell. And listen, it would be good for every one of us who loves the Lord Jesus to follow the urgency of these angels and, and sharing the gospel with those around us who don't know the Lord. It's good for us as a church to support people who will take the good news of the worst place to the people who've never heard it. But it is good also for us to hear about God's hell because Revelation 14 says that hell is awful for the purpose in verses 12 and 13 to get us to hold on. Hold on. Hell's awful. So church, hold on. That's why verse 12 says this all these, this preaching of these angels to those who are going to hell is, is, is sermons that are actually preached, not ultimately for them, but for us. This is a call to us that we might endure.
It is good to hear and to stop resisting the thoughts and stop resisting the conversations about God's hell because Christians need to hold on. To hold on, verse 12, to your devotion. Hold on, it says in verse 12, to your devotion. This is a call of endurance to the saints. That is those who will cling to their faith in Jesus and to his commands, to keep his commands. Now, hell has been used in our day and time as a great motivator for people. That's something that's very familiar for for us. But I, I want you to understand that it is easier to get people to not want hell than it is to get people safe from hell. Hell is meant to motivate people who will never go there to live their lives differently right now. And to spend our days holding tight to our devotion to the Lord Jesus. So look, in Graham, Texas, we're we're not surrounded by a government yet that pressures us to disobey Jesus. But cultural Christianity, if it says anything, it tells us don't take your devotion too far. Don't believe all that it says. Don't think you need to obey all of his commands. Jesus said, make disciples, teaching them to obey all my commands. I've saved you from saying no to me. God sends this very different message that's good for you to hear. It's good for me to remember that casual commitment to Christ or partial devotion to Christ, two hours a week kind of devotion to Christ, won't save anyone from hell. God comes along with these messages and says, if your religion is relaxed, then your faith is false. Everyone who believes Jesus is Lord believes this. He's Lord. He's right. He's the king. So we show that belief in a life that seeks to obey everything. He is telling us, look, this is a call to avoid torment forever. You've got to fight for faith today. Keep fighting to believe in him. It's good to hear about God's hell so that Christians might hold on to our devotion. But also in verse 13 and finally, and then I'm done. To hold on, not only to your devotion, but to do so until you die. Hold on till you die. Verse 13. Die in the Lord. He's not just saying that the only people who will go to heaven are those who die for the Lord. Like martyrs. But he is saying. And, and, and the third person of the Trinity comes along and says. The blessing of heaven will go to everyone who dies in the Lord. Who dies 
trusting in Christ, who dies seeking with God's help, even if imperfectly, but dies living to obey Christ all the way through our dying breath. And it's such good news. It's such good news because verse 13 tells us that Christians are following in the path of the Savior. That he died. And then he went to heaven. And we will too. But until then we labor. We labor. It's good to hear that Christianity was never meant to be easy. It's good to hear that it is hard to keep on believing. It's hard to keep on obeying because of all the pain that it brings and all the threats that it brings. But it is good to hear that every single person who holds on through every hardship will get rest. We'll get the one thing that does not exist in hell. Our deeds, the way we live, forecasts where we'll be forever. So what do you think? Is it good for you to hear and to keep thinking about God's help? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. You are so merciful to warn us in these ways and to encourage us just to keep going. And that what Christ has taken from us is not all the good news that you give us. That you will actually give us rest. And we will follow him after death. To you. So God help us to hold on. Since hell is so awful. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.